Welcome to Level Up with Lilith. Today's guest is Jillian Hayes. She is the Dean of the Graduate Division of the University of California, Irvine. So I've had the pleasure of meeting Jillian a while ago when I was interviewing her for Inspirational Women's event, rightfully and well-deserved. Um, but since then and before that, she has made such a huge impact in the education industry. She herself happens to be a computer scientist, which I'm going to ask so many questions about this. But before we start, I want to say thank you, Jillian, for coming to my podcast. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Lilith. And I have a shared admiration from the time we met during our Inspirational Women interview. I thought, I'm being interviewed for this thing, and I get this opportunity to meet an inspirational woman. It's always really fun, and I'm so grateful that we've gotten to know each other over the last few years since then. Yeah, I always find it fascinating how uh, relationships are built, right? It's, you know, it was just started off as an interview. Uh, we've come a long way since then. We'll talk about Grad Slam. We'll talk about all that. But let's start with you. Let's start with your background. Let's start about, like, computer science as a woman, too. But give me, give me that journey uh, of your life. Yes, yeah, so um, I love telling people this story um, because I think so many students, especially I talk to you know high school students now who feel like they have to know where they're going to be in their lives, and you really don't. You just have to be open to opportunity, and that's really where I was at. So I started out uh, my undergraduate as a molecular biology major, and I had a double major in math because I just liked it, so total STEM geek. Um, and I had the opportunity to go work at the NIH. I thought I really wanted to cure AIDS. That was sort of the big thing in, in my mind at that time. It was what was very uh, salient in sort of the, the 1990s biology world. Uh, went and worked at the NIH. Lost my favorite pair of shoes to radioactive tracing that had to be destroyed. Um, found that all maybe... A third of my cultures that I was trying to grow uh, wound up with mold in them. I mean, just everything you can imagine that goes wrong in a molecular biology lab happened. And I realized, this is not for me. I do not have the patience for this. I don't want to do it, even though I was working at this incredible lab. Went back to college, flipped through the book, because back then you got a book, uh, <laughs> and tried to figure out what I could possibly do with my life. And as a math major, I could double major in computer science and still finish in four years. Any other double major I would pick up would take an extra semester. And if I just did the math major, I would graduate a semester early and I really was having a good time in college, so I didn't want to do that. And that's how I became a computer scientist, completely random and the quirk of my university's curriculum. But then I found that I loved it. Um, went and worked at all the big consulting firms, did that for a little while like every other computing person who doesn't really know what they want to do. The modern now equivalent of that is going to work for Google or Facebook or Amazon. Or anywhere with AI. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, and then wound up going back to grad school um, and finding that I really loved thinking about the people in the computer science problems. So this interface that Finexa and a lot of your other companies do a lot of, which is how do we combine digital tools with human intelligence to make something that neither could do on their own. I agree with you. Um, tell me this, so so right now you've been through the consulting world, you've done your computer science and math majors. It's, you make it sound so easy. I just decided to do a le one less semester <laughs> and get a double major. Um, obviously it's difficult, right? And obviously, like especially for women, 
you know, I, I've, I've been in tech for a shorter period of time than you have. And even then, it was such a transition for me because when we think about tech, we're, we're thinking about how complicated it must be because women in general haven't been in tech. They've been in the background a lot. They've been support for tech. But how do you pass that on to the students to not be so afraid? Mm -hmm. I love this uh, question also. I think this is one of the biggest failures of my generation of women in tech. I just want to own that. I remember sitting in my classes and being one of, you know, maybe three women in a class of 50 students and thinking, surely this is going to be different. I'm going to go out and I'm going to pioneer and I'm going to do all these things. And yes, we have made some progress, but nothing like the rest of STEM. So if you look at chemistry majors or biology or physics, they're trending much closer to sort of 50-50 gender parity. Computer science, software engineering, all of our sort of fields look very male still. Uh, and this, again, I, I put this a lot on my own generation. We haven't made the changes that we need to make. Some of that, I think, is having companies like yours where we have really smart female-led organizations that show people what can be done. So there is a pathway that is exciting to people. Some of it, I think, is, is tearing down that fear that young women have. Um, one of the things I remember when I was in grad school that was so powerful is something broke in my computer. I don't even remember what the detail was. And one of my male lab mates was like, well, let's just take it apart and find out what's going on. And I'm like, no, I could break <laughs> it. Are you kidding? And he's like, it's already broken. What else are you going to yeah. do? And it was this really powerful moment for me. And then I fixed it. And I remember feeling so good. And so if we can just get a little bit of that into our young girls and women to say, it's already broken. Who cares? Fix it. Um, I think we can get over some of that fear. Yeah, I agree. And and the funny thing is, you know, we were talking about this before before we came on the podcast. So you're also vice provost uh, of the education division of UC Irvine. What does that mean? That uh, no one knows what a provost or a <laughs> vice provost does. Um, so I always say I have sort of two sides of my job. So being dean of the graduate division means I'm the one in charge of the grad students on campus. So I have to make sure... We admit them, they are successful, they get their degrees and so on. And we do that obviously in collaboration with the business school and the School of Computer Science, the School of Engineering and so on. Uh, on the other hand, the vice provost side of my job is a little bit more about strategy. So what does graduate education look like going forward? And that has been a really exciting moment right now. I'm actually giving a talk in DC next week about this to the other sort of top grad deans in the country about what what's the future look like? We're, how are we going to feed the professional workforce needs that we're seeing? And also, how are we going to adjust in fields where there may not be the same level of jobs? How do we make sure that, that that kind of degree stays relevant? Or where do we need to phase things in and out? All of those issues. Yeah. I am a big advocate for relationships in any kind of business you get into, right? And and it, I, I think it doesn't really matter what you study and what, you, what your degree is in. If you can't build relationships outside of school, you're going to have a hard time having a good job and having the leverage to ask for things and, and eventually move up in your career. Mm -hmm. And so that is very specific also to STEM because most people that are STEM-minded, I would say, they're also very introverted and they have a hard time communicating with people. Like, I was surprised to meet you, to be honest. Like, you're so social and so uh, intelligent in so many ways, but that's not the case in the industry. So what is the school doing to help people build these types of relationships? 
I love that you think I'm super social. I am deep inside such a computer nerd, just like the, the rest of the folks. Oh, I know that too. <laughs> <laughs> I always call myself a very well-trained introvert. So I actually had a moment last week. I was running a meeting all day, and I looked at my watch, and I said, 15 hours of pretending to be an extrovert is enough for me. I'm going home. And I just went home and read a book. Um, so that's – you're absolutely right. There's, there's a lot of that. Um, our students, though, they recognize that. I mean, they want, especially, by the way, the women and the sort of traditionally minoritized groups that are not so much represented in computing, we find in the research that the more we can make our projects have real human impact or have real business impact in some way, the more we draw those groups in. So we know that this is a thing. Um, and we're trying to build a lot of new programming around this. Certainly in the schools of uh, information and computer science and in engineering, we have whole divisions on access and inclusion and corporate relations and all of those things. But campus-wide at UCI, we're having a moment now as well where we have a whole bunch of graduate students who might have in the past only wanted to be in the research world and now they're talking to us about, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to go nice. either start a business or work in business. How do I do that? And so we have a couple of things. One is this big new Accelerate to Industry um, program that's in collaboration with NC State and funded by the National Science Foundation. And that has been incredible in terms of bringing together students from the STEM side of campus, but also other parts and our wonderful industry partners. And we're so, so glad to work with you on this. Uh, you're a perfect example of like a nerdy finance person <laughs> who <Yeah>. also <laughs> has developed really excellent social skills and now is leading a big company. Those are the kinds of trajectories that our students say that they really want to be on. I love that. Do you think, uh, and, and I might be a little biased and even a little ignorant, from back when I was in school, I think, and I still think, there's still a big gap between the actual technology out there in the world versus what's being taught. And I think it's not just technology either. Like, for example, with management, right? It, it, a lot of the theories that we're learning in management, the reality of work is not the same. And mm -hmm. so we need to understand, like, the, the complications of just human behavior so we can do our job better no matter what our job is. And so do you think from a tech world with all this AI and everything that's coming out, Gen AI and, and you know, the future of AI, do you think schools are doing a good enough job of preparing students for that level of technology? Yeah, well, I think we can always do better. I mean, that's the first thing. I think no matter what the educational institution, we should always be striving to reform our curriculum, update things, make sure it stays relevant to the workforce. This is where, for me, partnering with industry and making sure that on all of our professional programs, at least, we have advisory boards from industry who are informing our curriculum, that becomes really, really important. The private sector has to be, has to be involved. Uh, but the other thing is a lot of what you're doing, especially in grad school, is teaching people to think. So right. it's about maybe this is the technology that we're using today. You know, I teach user experience, so the tools change every six months. You know, it's everyone's obsessed with this tool right now, and it'll be another one six months from now. We will always say the tool isn't the point. Understanding how do you use these tools and then being able to pick up another one when that is the hot new thing to do, that's what we're really trying to teach you to do. Think critically the soft skills, work with others, be able to communicate, those things are sort of universal. And we just do our best to keep up with the technology as it's coming through. I just revamped it. I teach a class, not every year, but sometimes uh, to our professional user experience students. And I just revamped every lecture I give in that class to add AI in. Because 
there's no way I can't put students out in the world without understanding what the new AI tools are and just kept telling them, look, half this stuff is untested. We're trying it out. But here's the kinds of things that you might want to think about doing. Yeah. And I, I can see the difference. Obviously, I didn't even go to UC Irvine and I have a better relationship with you guys than I do with my own schools. Um, and that really is because of the extra effort you guys put in to get your students out there to meet professionals, to understand um, what technology is out there, what they want to learn. So I really respect that. And so my, my thing is, when, when they go out there into the professional world, what is the next step in terms of them retaining the relationship with the school? Because I feel like, especially in the graduate division, you've spent so much time relying on people like yourself. They need you as a mentor even after the fact, right? So do you have that kind of a program as well to keep these students uh, professionals at that time to come back to you and be accessible to you? We're working on it. This Good. is another one of those things I think we can do better. I mean, this is one of the things where UC Irvine is a young institution where, you know, we don't have hundreds of years of built-up alumni relations skills. Uh, that muscle is a little weak. But when I started, we had, you know, more than 40,000 graduate alums who were almost completely untapped and unengaged from the university. Yeah. Uh, there were pockets of places. Our business school certainly does a very good job of keeping up with people. But for the most part, graduate students, and this is not just true of UC Irvine, this is nationally. They don't think of the place they went to grad school as the first place. You probably don't either. You think of where you went to undergrad, that's your school that you affiliate to. And we said, no, the, often grad school is the moment we've done something transformative in your career. Like when you really think about who you are and who you're becoming, it often happens in grad school. So why don't we engage with those folks? And so we started having an explicit alumni engagement. Uh, I have a full-time staff member who all she does is think about alumni and grad school and how do we keep them engaged. And it's been amazing. It's, I think it's good for them. We want to be your lifelong partners in learning, but it's so good for our current students to see, oh, this is a pathway I can work towards. And now they're excited and they're optimistic for the future. And we have these incredible people out there. Why, why not celebrate them? Yeah, I agree. And that's actually a really good point. I never thought of it like that. People do, um, you know, tend to navigate towards their undergrad. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm wondering what it is. First, you, you probably, in some cases, obviously not PhD programs, but in some cases, you probably spend a little more time there. There's more bonding activities, so you build more lifelong relationships, and then you get too busy in a grad school. Possibly, I'm, I'm, I'm just making up, but I, I can see that being the case with me. I'm very involved in my undergraduate yeah. school as well, so that's awesome. Okay, my favorite topic, um, grad slam. So I'm going to do, a, hopefully, a good job of summarizing grad slam, but you guys are putting on this event for graduate students to communicate their research to the judges, but it's not even about the research, it's about the way they communicate it. And I love that aspect of it. So can you tell us a little bit about how it started, what you guys are doing, and what is the future of Grad Slam? That was actually a perfect summary, so good job. <laughs> that was brilliant. That, I, that was $5,000, Julia. <laughs> yeah, that was better than I would have done, so well done. You know, I think, um, Academics, look, you know professors, we're really good at really long speeches. We're used to getting up and giving an hour-long lecture or sometimes a three-hour-long lecture. Our students write dissertations that are hundreds of pages long. And the reality of it is when we have more than 50% of people who are getting doctorates saying they either want to start a company or go work at a company, they want to be in the private sector, Nobody in the private sector is reading a 300-page dissertation. This is ridiculous. So we have to teach them something else. We have to teach them to talk in 
really much more concise and compelling ways. So this competition gets them to distill down years of their work into this three minutes. And I'll be honest, I would not have done this as a grad student. It is terrifying to me even now to imagine having to distill everything I do into three minutes, but it is so powerful. And you've seen it, you've judged. Uh, the work that they do is incredible. And I've heard so many stories from them later that this was the thing that now when they got into a conversation with someone or they were lucky enough to get in that right elevator, they had their elevator speech prepared. They were ready to do it. And then we are tracking them. We're at about 10 years now. So we can look back at some of our past competitors and winners and see what are they doing and talk to them about how they've used the skills that they developed when they're actually out in the industry, which is so exciting. Um, we are going to bring the competition back to campus. It was hosted at Edwards Life Sciences last year, and we're going to do a massive 10-year celebration this year. I am so thrilled about it because we get to celebrate not only our 10 uh, finalists from this year, but 100 people who have reached that level of excellence in their communication. Yeah, and you guys do such a good job of getting the word out there. I mean, I didn't even know this existed, to be honest, and I've, I've known the UC system for a long time, and, and I think it's a great program. Is there any plans to, I know this is more of a UC thing as well, and you guys have adopted your own touch to it as, as well, but is there any plans to do this for undergrads as well? That's a great idea. We don't have plans for it yet, but I love it. Um, our director of undergrad education does do a one-day summit for undergrad research every year, and they do a sort of traditional academic talk, 15 minutes usually. I love the idea of bringing it down to three minutes, so now I have something to talk to uh, my counterpart about. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay. Um, okay, let's go a little personal. You've got two kids. And you've been doing all of this. You've been revamping the school and the graduate division while raising two kids. So tell me about that life. Um, well, the first thing I'll say is if you ever really want to get stuff done, give it to a mom because <laughs> something happens. I don't know what it is. I really don't. I didn't understand this before I had kids, but you learn to be so efficient. Like something happens during those early years when you're tr desperately trying to get work done in between their naps that... <laughs> I think you learn these incredible skills. So um, it's definitely hard, but they actually are what keep me grounded. Nice. They're what keeps me, you know, I think past me would stay at work till seven or eight at night, you know, and just would not, I was not very efficient. I was just hanging out, doing my thing. They're what gets me to be super fast. And then I know at five o'clock I'm going home and we're gonna have family time dedicated until they go to bed. Um, and that has, I think, made me a healthier, better person, a better professional. They're yeah. also just super cute and fun. So I that was helps. just going to say, wait until they become teenagers. And <laughs> hopefully you can still keep 30 minutes of family time. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. The, um, my older one is turning 12 this fall. And I can see the teenageness seeping in. Oh, and man. I know you're a little bit behind me on that trajectory. And it is already not fun. Um, so we'll see. But I have faith that he's going to turn into a good human on the back end <laughs> of all this. And you have two boys, right? Two, okay. yes. That has also been a really strange thing. Like as a woman in computing, you spend a lot of time thinking about how am I going to make the world better for girls? How am I going to make the world better for girls and doing all these things? And then I had two boys and I was like, oh, what do I do now? Um, but I've really realized that raising kind, generous men 
is as important as anything else that we might do to help all of society, both men and women. Absolutely. And that's a that's a pretty consistent theme in my podcast and pretty much anything else that I talk to because, you know, we can try to support women all we want, but most of us women were supported by men. And I love the recognition that comes out of it. I think more women need to talk about that mm-hmm. because I don't want there to be a push like, let's m- make this into a woman's world. It's right. It doesn't have to be a woman's world. It just needs to be a little bit more um, consistent. Yes, I completely agree. I mean, I think about my own father, my thesis advisor in grad school, who's a man, so many men who've lifted me up. My current boss is a man and he's awesome. Um, So many men who've been great allies and we really have to keep remembering that and, and pushing forward into a future altogether. Yeah. So what do you do for fun, Jillian? (laughs) Okay, so I'm gonna. Besides my first nerdy <laughs> answer is like, actually, I love my work, so I do think it's really fun. Um, and I spend a lot of time with my kids. Um, I'm total backstage mom. My oldest does um, a lot of theater, so I love to sew their costumes. Um, nice. I highly recommend to any parents out there listening, if you don't already have a hobby like that, pick it up because there is something so satisfying about sewing a costume putting it on a child, seeing it on stage, and it's done, right? Like most of the stuff we do all day every day is never done. There's always another client. There's always another paper to write. There's always another student who needs help. A costume is on a child's body and done, and it is satisfying. How did you learn how to sew a costume? Um, I learned – so I grew up um, with a mother who is an incredible cook and a great professional and a lot of wonderful things and cannot sew anything. Like (laughs) she literally would send my brownie patches out to be sewed by the tailor. Um, But I decided when I was in grad school, I was interning um, at Intel in the Bay Area, and I was like, you know what, I think I'd like to sew – I just feel like that's a skill I'd like to have. And I was all the way on the West Coast, away from all my friends and family on the East Coast, and did, just had some spare time. So I hired a grad student, actually, from the Fashion Institute in San Francisco. And she came to my apartment and twice a week and taught me to sew. And now it's so soothing. It's a very wonderful hobby. Amazing. I love it. Are you working on anything um, yourself? Are you working on research? Because I think ever since I've met you, you're always in some kind of a research mode? I'm always doing a little bit. I can't let the research go. I mean, some administrators, some people, when they become dean, they do less research. For me, that's so fun and what I'm passionate about. So I'm still running um, the Series Network. It's a global research network around kids and technology, and I co-run that with Candace Odgers, who's a psychologist. Um, that in and of itself is so fun because we each nerd out in totally our own ways, but we complement each other really well. And we just had our big three-day retreat last week with all the series scholars from around the whole world. So 100 people in Newport Beach just talking about the future of kids and technology. As you can imagine, with everything that's going on with AI and social media, it's a really hot time to be thinking about that. Um, so that's been really great. And then the other for fun thing that I'm doing on the side is I'm trying to write a grad student advice book. Um, because when I started as grad dean, I read all of the advice books out there, and they're all really, really great. They really are wonderful, but none of them just help you on a day-to-day basis. I think about what people ask me about, what they come to my office hours about. It's just little things every single day, so I'm trying to write something that is literally 365 pages. You read one page a day and just helps you get through what you're going through. I love that. So so tell me this, because that was going to be my next question. Perfect segue. (laughs) 
Um, so for students that don't have somebody like you in other schools to go to and talk about these things, I'm assuming conversations are not always about what they're going to graduate in. It might be like life comes in the way. They mm -hmm. need some advice. So if you were able to give advice to those students, like what would be your first, first or second or third advice that you'd want to provide out there? Yeah, I mean, I think you've targeted a really important issue. The scaling up of good mentoring is just really hard. And faculty are pulled in a million different directions, and they don't all have the same life experiences. Not all faculty are parents. Not all faculty have worked in the private sector. A lot of the things that I've done that people come to talk to me about, I mean, a lot of times students just come to be like, can I talk about being a working mom? Or can I talk about, can you look at my academic CV and turn it into a resume for me so I can get a job? Not all faculty have that background. And so that kind of scaling up is really important. I think the biggest piece of advice then that I give students is find multiple mentors and they might be places that you don't expect. So if you are lucky enough to get invited to an event like the lunches that we have that you've often come to, take advantage of that. Meet a business leader who might take 15 minutes with you and help you with this little issue. It's not going to all come from the faculty who are in your classrooms or from formal mentoring programs or anything. Just be open to collecting a whole bunch of people and then also turn around and do that for other folks. Because no matter where you are in life, no matter how lost you might feel, no matter how much you might think you need mentoring from other people, you are that person for someone somewhere. Someone is looking at you and being like, wow, I want to be where they are. How do I get there? And we just need to keep making those connections. Yeah. I wish, uh, I, wish I had you when I was <laughs> in grad school. <laughs> but that's amazing. Um, this is awesome. Thank you for coming again. Uh, I think we can wrap this up. But before we do, um, I always end my podcast with a riddle. And you don't have to answer it online. I'm not going to embarrass you. But <laughs> Good, because I'm really bad at riddles. So we'll, we'll just we'll get that see. out there. We'll I'll, I'll still let you answer it, but we'll also let some of our viewers answer it before we publish it. So, so my riddle today is there is a five-letter word in the English dictionary that if you remove the the second four, so in other words, you leave only the first letter, it still sounds the same. What is that word? Oh. That is a really good riddle. And you are not allowed to answer it right now. So let me let me wrap this up. Thank you, everybody, for joining us at Level Up with Lilith. Thank you, Jillian, for coming again. This was a fascinating conversation. I look forward to lunch with you, actually. <laughs> yes. Thank you. It's been a delight, as always. Great. Oh,